This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer the first beacon has been lit for Amon Dean welcome to light the beacons a Lotro podcast focusing on the roving MMO RPG Lord of the Rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien this is episode 26 and I'm your host Bragg of the Lonely Mountain unbreakable dwarf of ill repute we are coming to you live from the temporary LTB Middle Earthwide headquarters this week in the Chamber of Crossroads. Chamber of the Crossroads, uh, due to the fact that the Shadowed Refuge is still undergoing renovations. In fact, I'm considering having the whole thing carpeted. Anyone know a good tailor? Um, Chamber of the Crossroads, as per usual, is a bustle of activity. A number of dwarves here, obviously an early way station in the reclaiming of Moria. The chamber itself is somewhat unremarkable. Uh, approached from the chamber of Mannerbull, uh, from which I can see the restored statue of Helgi Goblinbane out in the courtyard. And as I look around, I see, you know, mostly kind of a sandstonish type color. Uh, still needs some cleaning up and shaping up, obviously, but there's... Uh, large archways to the north and south for the side chambers. <clears throat> Some intricate carvings you'll find, uh, you know, similarly around Moria. <coughs> the stone here looks to be uh, cracked and and uh, you know somewhat worn down from the passage of time. But the most remarkable feature, of course, is the central well, which stands in the center of the floor. If you take a good look at the mechanism that uh, hangs over it, there's a large winch and crank. Uh, attached to a, an adjustable arm with uh, three chains hanging down as the crank is turned that would lower and raise the uh, the different parcels or in this case perhaps uh, buckets to retrieve water from the waterworks. Um, the uh, well itself is rather controversial. Uh, central figure in the movies. This is where all the trouble started thanks to that fool of a took as most of you I'm sure are familiar with. And, uh, you know, one of the most uh, fun features in Moria due to the, let's say, the, 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 the gambling nature of this feature. Uh, as I'm sure most of you know, and, and many of you know, many times over, the jump into the well, which will, uh, you know, as part of the epic quest line even, I believe it is required to uh, help you find the bottom. Uh, well, actually, not required. Uh, you can certainly make your way all the way down to the waterworks and then out on the, the walkways to find uh, the hole from the ceiling and help the dwarf there that's being attacked by toads and lizards. But uh, the quicker way, of course, is to take the shortcut. And what I constantly hear argued about in, in chat, in game, is the fact that uh, some people believe, some people don't believe that you can survive the fall. Um, 
Uh, some people believe it's a random chance. Some people believe there's a strategy in where you can jump and whether you should hug the wall on one particular side or another, uh, you know, in order to increase your chances of survival. I would say my personal, uh, you know, I've probably made the jump in at least seven tunes, and some of them have done it several times just for funsies. I would probably guess that my survival rate is perhaps one in three, although I've been lucky of late. I've been doing much better, uh, and uh, it's fun to fall from the ceiling and survive, of course. Uh, it certainly is quite a shortcut. And, uh, you know, why don't we do this live on the podcast? We're going to, uh, you know, we're going to simulate a jump here and see how things go. Um, and I'll report back on, uh, on how we do. I typically am facing the entrance and um, I, you know, hug that wall. I tend to leap over the precipice or just edge over the precipice and then press backwards to hug my, wall, uh, hug my back to the wall. Uh, is my typical approach, and you know it's worked for me in the past. I've certainly have survived it several times, so you know that's what I would recommend. Hey, Grimuck, uh, come over here, just a minute. Yeah, stand right here. W what do you see glittering in the wall there? Is that gold? Here, lean over, get a good look. <coughs> hey, don't spin your arms. Ooh, he bounced off the side. That can't be good. Um. I'm sure he'll be fine. Like I said, the survival rate, at least one in three. So I don't have uh, any problem with that. And, uh, you know, what are, what are henchmen for anyway? Um, while we're at it, let's light our second beacon. Time for CRAP, corrections, apologies, and retractions from the previous week. Uh, so last week I mentioned Amavaset defended my Bjorning got back trademark on the MMO Reporter podcast. And a mere week later, I'm listening to that very same podcast, and he busts, busts out his own stanza on the same show. <coughs> Backstabber! Um, so if you're going to copy, you know, infringe on my copyright, next time, Amavaset, uh, do it in Cinderin. We know you're capable of that. Um, you know... Do it Nolder style. Hop, 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 hop. Noldum style. Hey, sexy elf lass. In viewer comments this week, the Twitter sphere erupted surrounding AOL shutdown of Joystick and by association the MMO site massively, which is so popular. Is this an indication of the contracting influence of the genre? Or just some corporate dinglehopper's idea of restructuring and focusing on core offerings, so to speak. Based on AOL's long history of success in capturing and retaining an audience in a burgeoning technology marketplace through accurate forecasting innovation, uh, I'll let you be the judge. So uh, I will be following Massively OP avidly in the months to come, uh, wishing all the folks there good luck. They need our support, and judging from the community's reaction, they should get it in spades. In fact, their Kickstarter campaign was funded in 48 hours. Wow, I think uh, they, were, uh, they were rather amazed by the turnout, and uh, it's gratifying to see folks that have worked uh, so long to represent the community and uh, uphold the high standards of journalism that they have enjoyed. Uh, to see that uh, you know paid off with the loyalty of their listeners, so very excited to see that. And based on the success of that campaign, I'm officially announcing the Light the Beacons Kickstarter campaign 
uh, supporting Safamska. So uh, let's rally behind that and uh, try to equal the success that we saw with Massively OP. If it's that easy, heck, if it takes me three days to do it instead of two, you know, I'm willing to put in the time. Um, I should also mention that uh, Lotro Players News had a poll this last week about who would win in a fight. I think uh, some of the options were um, a Hungry Hobbit, uh, Layla, Sarah Oakhart, and uh, even Grima. And Grima, um, if he's gurgling down below, he's been inconsolable about these poll results. He, I think he came in dead last. He tried to argue that he could take, uh, you know, could beat a little girl like Layla. But I uh, had to remind him that sneaking up on someone and stabbing them in the back was generally not considered to be a fair fight for the purposes of the poll, and uh, removing that option, he conceded. So in this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We're going to discuss the game's recent uh, 15.2 release notes to get the unique Dwarven view on those. And most excitingly, we are planning on going down, down to Goblin Town. Lastly, if there's any time remaining, we'll eat some Kentucky Fried Hobnanigans. And with that, we'll move on to our third beacon. Nardal. This week in gaming or other Tokian news. So what else have I been playing? A little bit more Hearthstone. I, I may have... You may remember I mentioned that last week. So I've played a few matches now, uh, probably maybe 10, let's say, and I get it. Um, I get why people like it. I'm not saying it's something I'm going to stick with long term, but it's well done. And you know how I know it's well done? Because card games are not my thing, and I still find myself wanting to play a little bit more. So after maybe 10 or so live matches, uh, you know, which I had fair representation of success, win some, lose some. Uh, I've got uh, a level 10 mage, which is the first character that's kind of default granted to you, and I've unlocked, I think, three others. Uh, the priest, the hunter, and something else I can't remember, like a warlock or a paladin or something like that, um, which you unlock by beating uh, class of that opposite type. And I'm sure... There are people out there been playing Hearthstone for years, and they all have level 576 Warlocks. Um, I'm sure it's as much progression in the game. That's how you hook people as possible. But it's nice that they uh, seem to match you up with folks that are fairly well, um, fairly well equal, um, at least in terms of you know their alts or the tunes that you're trying to play. Uh, I've also been playing a game I got off of Steam called in a bundle called The Bridge. It's a Kind of a three-dimensional Esker-esque uh, puzzle game, and uh, you know I'm finding it interesting. Should be a, a short but pleasant distraction occasionally um, for a game that prides itself on being set in kind of three-dimensional puzzles. I'm finding it a little bit one-dimensional, if that's possible, in terms of the challenge. But um, you know, fairly easy puzzles, but still enough to make you progress and. Uh, uh, you know, getting a bit more complex as we go. So, you know, for whatever I paid for it, which is probably pennies on the dollar, uh, you know, not bad. Uh, I have played a little bit of Secret World this past week. Um, I've been stuck for a while wandering around the initial starter town. And, uh, you know, I looked at the main storyline quest and it just wasn't progressing for me. I was kind of 
uh, you know, exploring the area, meeting folks, doing side quests. But my main storyline quest was not progressing. Uh, it was like locked on step number two out of 15. And the only explanation was, you know, go visit folks from the town and hear, hear their stories. So I've been doing that. I've been going around to all the different people, going through their dialogue, understanding the backstory, doing some side quests from them. But the quest was not advancing. So eventually I had to uh, look up what the next step in the, per in the progress was to figure out what I was doing wrong. And it pointed out one particular NPC that I had not gone and talked to. And as soon as I did, the storyline advanced. So what, what I had a problem with was that the description of the quest was a little nebulous. You know, it said go and talk to people around the town. And I've been doing that. And I actually, when I saw 2 out of 15, I thought maybe I had to do side quests for 15 people and then and the storyline would continue. So I've been doing side quests, but the counter hadn't been increasing. And what I learned later was that uh, it wasn't the number of people I had to talk to, but it was uh, the step in the storyline. And it, there was one particular NPC I had not found that advanced the story. <coughs> so in general, I found that a little off-putting, that it was um, a little bit nebulous in terms of what I should be doing. So I moved the storyline forward that step, and, and perhaps now that I understand how that's supposed to work, I'll focus on it a bit more and see where that storyline takes me. I did notice this past week that a lifetime membership for The Secret World was offered, along with a bunch of uh, little package of in-game benefits, for about $199. And uh, certainly the lifetime membership I've bought in Lotro for $199 when it was on sale was one of the best investments I've made over the last eight years in terms of the amount of enjoyment I've gotten out of that money. But you know, that's still a steep cost to pay if you don't know if that game is going to be kind of a central focus of your gaming and going to provide that long-term um, enjoyment factor. Uh, for me, Lotro was kind of a slam dunk. I knew that was going to work out. I haven't played another game that I've wanted to get involved to the level of Lotro in yet. Um, so, you know, I may be kicking myself a couple years down the pike when I get totally hooked on the secret world and I start subscribing. But uh, just a little too steep at this point, not knowing if that's uh, going to be the case or not. And we'll see if they offer it again in the future. There may be some regret there. I often talk to people who passed that up for Lotro and regretted it ever since. But, uh, you know, it's not going to happen that way for you for every game. If you start doling out 200 bucks a shot every time a new MMO comes out, uh, given the choices and availability on the marketplace, it's not always a good investment. So what have I been doing in Lotro? Well, Bragg has been um, laying follow a little bit, awaiting his next challenge. Hobnanigans was out this past weekend, and uh, uh, I actually went into the fields and monkeyed around for a little bit. It's kind of stupid. Actually, it's not kind of. It's stupid. <laughs> but I am a chicken hockey minor leaguer. Whoop-de-doo. So I made the first rep level for... Um, for Hobnanigans, and I did it by sitting around and, uh, you know, actually, if you grab a stick and then wait for the timer to expire and go off the field and come back on and grab another stick, you know, eventually, if you're doing nothing else, you can grab all six sticks and start a game by yourself, but it takes like, you know, 25, 30 minutes of sitting around doing nothing, which is a complete waste of time, but there were a couple other players there, and between us, we were able to get some matches started and end up playing solo one-on-one -on -one against a guy. And, and uh, you know, I'm probably going to build up enough tokens to get, you know, a basic white chicken. 
you know, the prices for the other chickens, which kind of look cool, are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you'd have to be playing shenanigans every weekend from now to the end of shenanigans to, to get one of these things. And I'm starting to look at the rep level the same way. They're, it's like, uh, I think, if I did the math, even with accelerators, which would be kind of a waste of accelerators... I would need maybe 40 to 50 matches of Hobnanigans to max out the reputation. Um, really? 50 matches? You know, even if there was a league going on, a player-run league, it would take years for that to happen. It's just, uh, you know, the the part that annoys me is that I'm maxed out in reputation with every faction in the game except for this stupid chicken hockey minor league. Um, and uh, that one's probably going to stay open forever. You know, I said that about the L gang, but at least I could do the Rift Skirm and eventually, you know, winnow that one down and achieve that one as well. But I can't ever imagine, buy, imagine buying enough accelerators and playing enough Hobnanigans matches to max out reputation. So that one's just going to be a thorn in my side for the rest of my game time career. And I think the developers need to fix it. It's going to bother me, completionist that I am. Okay, so um, Bragg also is likely to continue running occasional skirms to chip away at S-O-M-E, Skirmisher of Middle-Earth title, so he can say, come get some, with an emote. Um, I did finish off the last one I needed in Breaching the Necromancer's Gate, which was the Sorcerer of Ferngul. Um, then I ran a 21st Hall skirm where I still need three of the lieutenants and end up getting none of them in that run. So that's the depressing part about working on this deed. Uh, still got, I think, maybe 12 lieutenants to go across all the skirmishes. Three of them in the 21st hall, three of them in the deep way, and then the rest kind of scattered one or two here or there. Chip, chip away. What else have I been doing? The Bjorning is now level 59. Most of my playtime of late has been on my Bjorning. I don't like... Uh, um, I don't like removing the XP buffs that you can get from uh, the Shield of Hammerhand and the Cloak of Helmingas. And, of course, you get it from being VIP and you get your blue bar. Uh, but I also don't like out-leveling Moria instances before I have done more than one of them. So level 56 to 59 was a blur for me, all due to the Grand Stairs. Um, I did uh, three runs, basically, over the last week and a half or so. Uh, to try to clean out my deep, my quest log for the Grand Stairs from the Orc Watch. And most of the runs are a little strange. It's like, you know, can't find six people, but we've got three tunes, and one of them's a 95 Hunter. So, got a 95 Hunter, a 63, a, a 59 born, Bjorning, and a 54 Warden. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in its own way, that can be kind of challenging. So, you know, at least some of the fights, you know, at least the 54 Warden and I were in danger of dying. And, uh, you know, we had to be careful not to aggro stuff. The hunter wasn't aggroing and take on the whole group before before he started with a reign of thorns. But so there can be some challenge in these strangely, you know, configured groups. And, of course, the, you know, the level 90s and 100s come back to try to finish off uh, all the deeds in the deed log for Mori instances. So which can help if you have trouble getting a full group on level. So I, I needed one more run in challenge mode to get Narder. I'd done two gr uh, Grand Stairs full runs, uh, cleaning out everything. And then needed uh, still one run in challenge mode to get Narder uh, in order to clean all my logs and finish some deeds as well. 
And this is one thing I was hoping they would address with the Moria revamp that they didn't do. Uh, one of the big problems with the way quests are layered around the Moria instances is that they're hierarchical. Um, you know, Narfi will tell you to go talk to three these three guys. These three guys will say, you know, I want you to clean out the Grand Stairs by doing a bunch of stuff. And the bunch of stuff is three, four quests. So you get this big hierarchy of... One guy tells you to talk to three guys. Three guys have sub-deeds um, for which you have to clean out three or four more quests. And by the time you scoop up all the quests for the Grand Stair, you, there's got to be like 25 quests that you have to pick up. Um, you know, so you've got to clean out your quest log to the degree where you can actually carry all these things at the same time. And you know, if you're on level and doing Mori instances... Um, that's just the Grand Stair. Then there's Philgashan, there's the, the Forges, there's 16th Hall, Dark Delvings, and each of these is structured the same way. And if you don't completely clean out all the quests and deeds for that area, then you don't get rid of the overarching quests and you, you, your quest log just gets jammed. So back before they, um, you know, Mori was out before they expanded the number of quests uh, as part of one of the expansions that they did, and it was tough. You know, if, if you hadn't done enough deeds to expand your quest log, it was almost impossible to carry them all at the time and become this big log jam. Uh, you know, you wanted all of them in case someone called for a run so that you had them ready. But if you carried them all, then uh, you didn't have room for anything else when you were general questing. So that was one thing I was really hoping they would have addressed in the revamp that they did. Turbine, please fix it. So aside from Grand Stairs, I've been pushing through the epic quest line. Uh, 2.4.7, the drowned uh, was downed once again, or drowned once again. I think maybe it's the seventh tune I've taken through that instance. It's still epic, but it's still long. You've got Grodbeg, then Toads, then Grodbeg, then Grodbeg, then Spiders, then the Watcher. Uh, one thing I've learned over time is to bypass some of the groups to make it go faster. You don't actually have to aggro every group in every room before you can move on by turning some of the wheels to open up the next sections. But, gosh, it's still long. Um, so I'm, I'm coming up on the 2.5.5 skirms. I uh, finished off the, uh, the Deepway skirm. Ran 21st Hall, and I think I still have to do the Way of Smiths to finish off the last of those. Actually, no. I did the Deep Way. I've got Way of Smiths next, and then uh, the 21st Hall would be last. So it would be nice to have those open. Done another tune. I did finish the 58 class quest on the Bjorning, which had a fun little capstone out in Zurich Ziggle. Um, so I won't spoil that, except to say it's it's kind of a neat concept. Um, I did seem to notice some new paths on Zurich Sigil that I, I hadn't seen before. It's been a while since I've been out there, but it did seem in the revamp they, they expanded some of the things in that area. Um, there's a really steep-looking path that you're not even sure you can climb until you get all the way up to the top, and then there's a, a signature fire drake up there called Celebros and another roving frost dragonet elite, and I don't remember either of those things in the past. I remember the... The company of Moravel kind of, uh, you know, sitting on top of the, you know, the wreckage there. As you realize that the wreckage is, you know, uh, the broken off top of the, um, the endless stair that crashed down when uh, Gandalf was fighting the Balrog. So that's kind of epic. But it seemed like there's some new content up there with some of those new uh, tunes that I hadn't seen before. Maybe I just missed it because the path was so steep and I didn't know I could climb it. But I'm thinking they were added during the revamp. If you know for sure, let me know. Um, 
So while reviewing the class trait points for the Björning, I realized that the Björnings do not get one from the Iron Garrison Guards like all the other tunes. Instead, they make that one up uh, between level 15 and level 30 class quests, as I noticed in the wiki. And uh, as I was reviewing those, I noticed a skill I didn't have yet in the racial traits, which is the Bracing Roar. It's kind of like a half man heal, half damage blast. Um, so, you know, most of the classes have one skill that's the best one you can get for race. For, for dwarves, it's Endurance of Stone. For the elves, it's the... Uh, Grace of the Eldar, which gives them evade. For man, it's the man heal. And hobbits, it's their flop. So Bjornings have a new skill. That's the best racial one they can get, the Bracing Roar. It's half, about half the heal of a man heal and also does a damage blast at the same time. And the way to get that is to kill, uh, finish off Enmity of the Spiders 2 and also Enmity of the Spiders 3, which is another 250. So now I is killing spiders. And the handiest way to do that in Moria is to go down to the Dolven View and do the Spider's Nest quest that's available from Fullstar. Um, it's one of the imbued gem quests that you can get right across from the Stable Master in order to earn a legendary item uh, accelerator, or I'm sorry, um, weapon type or damage type um, scroll that you can apply to your legendary weapon. Um, so doing the quest from Fullstar of uh, the Spider's Nest... Uh, with an accelerator, yields about 70 spiders per run. Uh, 35 normally and about 70 per run with an accelerator. Um, so uh, several runs of those quests, and I was, able to, uh, I was able to work through that deed. And with the few that I had remaining, I just headed down to the Lost Palace in the Waterworks, which was... Um, which is... You know, besides the Glob Snaga spiders and the Foundations of Stone, probably the most uh, concentrated spider area in Moria outside of the Spider's Nest. Uh, the Spider's Nest has a 16-hour CD on it, so you can only do it basically once a day. And uh, if I had time left over for my accelerator on top of that, I head down to the Lost Palace and the Waterworks. So two or three days of that, and I knocked out that, uh, that racial deed for the Bjorning. Uh, so it's nice to have that skill. Always nice to have an extra oh crap button. Um, so, uh, also been evaluating the revamp impact from 15.2 um, in running with the Bjorning. And I'll talk a little bit about that more in 15.2 release notes. So, uh, I'll leave that commentary till then. I would say overall, the DPS line seems to be going faster. So, they did nerf some skills, but they buffed a bunch of others, including uh, a bunch of uh, skill timers and debuffs. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more. I'll, I'll save that for the, for the next beacon. Um, but the other thing I noticed, obviously, is it's, it's nice to have a res skill uh, for the Bjorning. And could have used it in the Grand Stairs <laughs> to, to uh, raise that level 54 Warden when he got himself in hot stuff. Um, I did notice the cooldown that uh, is three minutes, which is, seems pretty low to me. Uh, I wonder if that's on par with some of the other classes with in-combat reses, or if maybe it's a bit more frequent. I would have thought the mini or the cappy would have been closer to five or seven minutes, so I'll have to look at that. I've also been out on my minstrel of late. Uh, she completed Van Vanguard of Central Gondor and gave her first stage symbol to my cappy, who needed a new weapon. Um, 
I did notice that she was creeping up on 72 points in Epic Battles. So, ugh, I maybe make a push for 100 to get another class trade point there. Um, you know, it's it's pulling teeth, though. I tell you, after having a rank 6 and going back and doing an alt with a rank 2 or a rank 3 is painful. Um, did the Helm's Dyke solo uh, because uh, she didn't have many medals there and... Uh, you failed uh, at least one side quest. I think it was the one rearming the archers. It felt like a waste of time for a few measly stars of merit without making any without making any new merit points uh, to sink into my epic battle point tree. Uh, my Cappy uh, polished off his brand new first stage weapon. Um, I used turbine points to get a scroll of delving, a scroll of relic removal but did not buy a Crystal of Remembrance, so I had one less skill than I had in my last weapon. Uh, maybe down the line, if I find one in a Hobbit present or in a chest or something, I will apply it and add the Legacy. The one that I went without, I think, that I used to have was a crit for uh, their two battle-ready melee skills. Uh, crit build used to be important for the Cappy, but through the revamp, I don't think it's as important. So it'd be nice to have, but it's it's a nice to have. Wasn't going to spend turbine points on that. Um, aside from that, I actually got all the legacies I wanted on that, so pretty happy with it. Uh, the one change I made, which I was a little sad about, is knowing that I was going to have this weapon for a long time, I agonized over it. This tune has always had a two-handed hammer, and I really like a two-handed hammer. It looks great across his back. Love slamming it down, love the animations, love the sounds. But as uh, those of you who own Cappies know, um, they have a passive skill for a 5% damage increase for using a halberd. So I went with a halberd for the first time. And 5% uh, was just a little too much to pass up. It's actually probably more than I got from the DPS increase from going to a first stage 100. So it's like, come on, dude, 5%. You know, there's plenty of things I think... Uh, time and effort into in game that net me less than a 5% damage increase. So felt like I had to do it. Um, I wish that we had either uh, cosmetic LIs or the ability to choose the damage increase, but uh, I'll get used to it, I guess. Just uh, right now I'm pining for my old hammer. Uh, Cappy also did some quests in Gondor, finished the Ringglow Vale uh, for the class trait point there, and is on to Ethering. And for the first time, uh, joined a roving threat raid. Uh, so, was with maybe six to eight tunes. Covered Dal Amroth, Misty Mountains, Angmar, Forakel, and the ones I had opened so far on Central Gondor. Since I'm not through questing in all that region, I don't have all the roving threats available. Uh, so... It took a few hours to go through all of those, and uh, in that time acquired maybe 85 brands. I think the first stage weapons are, I want to say, 300. So, so ostensibly, you could do that in you know, maybe six or seven hours of gameplay if you really stayed at it and switched through tunes uh, so you don't have to wait for cooldowns. A um, couple observations I noted about the roving threats. First of all, they're all cool mobs, you know. They put the time in. They're all a little different. Uh, they do look kind of special. Um, they have some abilities. At least most of them have some abilities that make them a little more complex than a tank and spank. Um, so, you know, cool graphics, cool mobs, cool boss fights. And uh, 
uh, I, I found myself kind of liking the ones in the old areas better because you couldn't take them down through mounted combat ro roving in circles. So a bit more classic combat um, for some of the roving threats in some of the older areas. Um, so it was actually probably good that you could do some with mounted combat, some with regular, so you have a little bit of a mix. Uh, the Angmar ones had uh, a capstone it's where we had to take down all five of the roving threats in Angmar and then go back to Oghair and get a capstone mob, which is out in the salt flats in eastern Malinhad. Um, so that was different from any of the other areas that I noticed. And the other thing I noticed is that when you complete the roving threats uh, completely in one area, say there are five in the Misty Mountains and we did all five, uh, there's a deed that goes with it that has a title as well as 10 additional brands. Um, so there's bonus brands uh, that help build up the stockpile. And so I can already see it's going to make sense to switch tunes to go through and make sure everyone's covered uh, those 10 roving, you know, the 10 brand roving threat deeds uh, in order to maximize the, the return on those. Uh, the challenge level varied. Uh, there were some that were very simple, tank and spank. Like I said, we didn't have a full raid. We had kind of anywhere between five and eight tunes on the run. Some had to leave, some joined on, etc. Uh, there wasn't anyone we couldn't take down, um, but there were probably only a couple bosses that I would say have mechanics that you have to actually watch and worry about. Um, there's a couple. There's a giant in the Misty Mountains and one in Forkel that lift their foot up to stomp you, and if you don't get out of the way, you can get one shot. Um, there's a couple more that have some pots you got to hit, or you'll get one shot or massive damage AOE. But overall, uh, you know, the challenge level that was only maybe one or two bosses out of each area, and the rest were, you know, fairly mindless. Uh, but I gotta say, it was kind of fun racing across the old landscapes and groups kind of reminded me of the old bounty quests that we used to do back in the day or even uh, taking down the groups of warbands in uh, in eastern or western Rohan as kind of an activity you know it's an alternate activity instances skirmish big battles uh, take down roving threats in a group kind of traveling across the landscape uh, variety is good so I'm okay on the roving threats and um you know, I don't think any of the rewards are spectacular, except, of course, for the first stage weapons. People are already starting to notice that the price on the auction house is dropping precipitously for those. Uh, my lore master has staged an ethering to start on Ringlow Vale at some point. And my RK, level 39, picked up his class quest books and mindlessly killed some goblins in the ruins south of Ostfraud to work on his racial enmity deed as well. That is more than enough about what I've been doing in games. Let's move on to our next beacon. That brings us to Aralas, our fourth beacon. Uh, 15.2 release notes. You've probably heard these gone over three, four times. But you know what? Repetition breeds familiarity. And you haven't heard the real story on it until you've heard it from a dwarf. So here's my take. Uh, roving threats. Weapon rewards received via barter are now bind on acquire. Don't really matter to me because the brands, I believe, are uh, account-wide in your barter wallet. So you can cash them in on any tune um, to acquire. What it means is that you can't sell them on the AH. So for the folks that have the time and the willingness to run roving threats all day, every day, on every tune, just to try to corner the market on the auction house, 
that ain't gonna work, uh, which is a good move. Um, the full screen checkbox in the graphics option is nice. I don't normally run in Windows mode, but I can see how it would be handy, especially when you're doing something like podcasting. You viewers out there know what that, that's all about, don't you? I, don't you? Well. Um, Mathems and well-kept Mathems can now be used at level 20 and higher. So, you know, another small example of, I think... Turbine listening to the user community and taking action. This was a simple change to switch back. They originally set them at level 35, even though you start acquiring them at level 20. And it's appropriate to have them in level 20 since the Shire is a level 20 and lower area. So now you can cash them in at level 20. Um, good job, Turbine. Thanks for listening. Uh, what else? Um, Lonelands added a couple warg dens to make finding wargs easier for warg slayer deeds. This was needed. I'm glad to see it. I remember uh, always kind of patrolling the hills to the east of uh, Ostgaruth uh, looking for wargs many a time. And uh, I haven't been to the Lonelands to find the warg dens, but heck, good warg den here and there. Um, to make some of those Slayer Deeds a little less lonely, this is good stuff. So, very positive on that. Um, they think they have fixed the unexpected shallow water dismount bug, or at least found a possible culprit. So, they didn't want 100% say it was fixed, but um, they're hopeful. And in my experience, I haven't uh, had any issues with it since 15.2 15 went in. Been in and out of plenty of shallow water areas, so uh, I am cautiously optimistic myself. All right, this was really the Bjorning release, as most of you have said. Uh, skill changes all over the place. Let's talk about just a couple of the bigger ones. Um, skin changing, Mark of Bjorn and Mark of Grimbjorn and Nature's Bond now persist through crowd control effects. I am happy for this. I can say that uh, you know, just switching over to being a bear and then suddenly switching back to a man just because of something that the mob did was unfortunate. Um, so I think this is helpful. Um, while a bear, Bjorning has twice the melee range. I like the complexity. I like the added uh, strategy, perhaps, in taking advantage of that. Um, and certainly will help in tanking quite a bit. Uh, new skill, bear up the res skill. Um, so now bears are viable in three-man groups as a healer. And I've done a few three-man groups with my Bjorning. Uh, not as strong in healing as others, but as long as you've got a solid group, in most instances, I think it can work. So, good move. Uh, Out-of-combat res skill, unlocked at level 36. And um, quite a small cooldown on the in-combat res. Uh, potential to use it multiple times in boss fights, uh, which will make them more valuable for grouping. Yay! Uh, Vicious Claw is now usable in both forms. This was needed. A reliable interrupt that you could use whether you were in man form or bear form. Uh, Relentless Maul provides immunity to crowd control effects while it's active. This is kind of a cool, uh, again, adds more strategy to the playing of the class. Uh, you know, knowing when some of those effects might turn on. And it was pretty annoying to be knocked out of your Relentless Maul as soon as you triggered it. Because it's a fair cost in Wrath, I think it's like 20, and getting zero out of it because you got hit with some kind of daze was a bit of a pain. Uh, sacrifice duration increased to 20 seconds, up from 12. It sounds good. I haven't used Sacrifice skill once 
since I've gotten it. Um, trying to figure out where in groups this would be handy. As far as I can tell, uh, it's like a poor man's shield of the Dunedain because uh, it does shield your subject from the damage, but the Bjorning ends up taking most of the damage. So uh, basically killing yourself for to keep someone else alive have to be pretty desperate circumstances to find an effective use for that. You know, I could see getting maybe a subset of the damage on you, but absorbing more of it. I don't know. I'm not sold on it. Right now, I can't picture using it. Um, we'll see. Beast Worm unlocks sooner. Level 14. Good. Rush unlocks sooner. Level 24. Good. Rush sprint duration up to 12 seconds from 8. And I believe can be shared, um, has a trait to be shared with the Fellowship, kind of like the Captain can do, which is kind of nice. So we see the bear kind of morphing, at least the yellow line, closer and closer to what a captain can do in groups, uh, but with its own twist. Let me see. Reduced, here's the big one. Reduced the first tier of Thrash by 25% and lowered the damage of tiers 2 and 3. Nerf Arama. But you know what? This was needed. I, I challenge anyone to argue that this shouldn't have been done. I found myself turning into bear form and hitting thrash, 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 thrash until my wrath is done because it was the most effective way to burn down the mob the fastest. And that's no fun. Um, it's boring. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have a big skill, but maybe it needed, you know, the other the other change would have put it on a longer cooldown so that you can use your other skills in between, but... I like this better. I think it's uh, more in line with the other skills. The other skills they enhanced uh, to make them more attractive. So now there's more balance as far as the combat or key rotations, skill rotations for the Bjorning. So good move. Um, Bjorning shapeshift. So when you do shapeshift, your main and control quick slot bars now switch. Uh, I tried this, uh, one of my baby hobbits tried this, and it quickly drove us crazy. So I'm not saying you couldn't get used to it after a while, but to me it fixes a problem that wasn't a problem. Um, I have my skills set up kind of like I set up my RK with uh, you know, man skills on the left side of my bars and bear skills on the right and the transfer you know, squarely in the middle. So I move, you know, in a logical fashion across the man skills, building wrath. I swap form, and then I stay on the right-hand side, and uh, it worked for me. Uh, switching the bars, I found often I would be about to click something when the bar would switch, and uh, I'd click on a wrong skill or on a blank or empty skill. I, you know, like I said, I think you probably could get used to it if you wanted to, but don't want to. And uh, if any of you guys are using it, that'd be interesting to know. Um, let me see. Bjorning Hills properly increased. That's a, just a. That's not an enhancement. That's a fix. Thrash Tier Three now hits up to five enemies in front of the Bjorning. So glad to have another AOE skill in the Bjorning. I think it needed one, uh, aside from a small in bear form. But the problem I see with it is this, and and uh, we'll see if this comes to fruition. The problem is this. If you're using your thrash, let's say you have a single boss or you're in a raid fight where you can't AoE. So you're hitting the boss with a thrash, you're hitting the boss with a thrash, and now you're up to tier 3, and you've got a choice. You can either hit him with thrash again and use the AoE so that you can get back to tier 1 and start over again, or you cannot use your thrash anymore for the rest of the fight. So 
Um, I don't know if tier two will eventually uh, fade. I'll have to experiment with that. If 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 tier two will fade so that you can go back and use your thrash again, maybe that's okay. Still not ideal, but if you're locked uh, in tier three of your thrash and you can't use it due to the circumstances of the fight, then that's not very useful. And I could see people hitting it by accident, not knowing what tier they're on, and and hitting an AOE and accidentally killing something and spoiling a raid. So um, people are going to have to be careful about that one. Uh, let me see. The Roar. Uh, Nature's Bond no longer requires facing. So we've got a heal, uh, healing skill um, that'll work uh, in front or behind, which is great since the bears will commonly be in melee, perhaps with squishy, squishy classes behind them. Um, a bunch of other skills where the damage buff or the healing buff was increased. Uh, all good stuff. Um, uh, got a new Thunderous Roar, which is a vigilant uh, trait where a vigilant roar now taunts all enemies within 10 meters of the Bjorning. Pretty short range, but still will be uh, handy for tanking. I'm not tanking with my Bjorning. or not planning on it at this point, but uh, could be helpful. All right, so that's all the trait changes. Before we move on to the uh, 15.2 release notes around Pilar gear... Uh, I made up a short list of the top five new Bjorning skills or class enhancements that I think should have been put in this release, just for you viewers out there. And, you know, you're, you're not viewers, okay? I know. All right, skill number one. I call it Smarter Than the Average Bear, plus 20 wisdom for the fellowship last 20 minutes. Second skill, Smokey's Lament. Allows you to put out fire dots fellowship-wide and grants a 10% tactical mitigation buff for only you. Uh, new, new legendary class items available in the form of picnic baskets. I want a first age level 100 picnic basket for my Bjorning. Uh, next skill, bearskin rug. Racial trait earned by killing 300 hunters. Uh, similar to the Hobbit flop or aggro drop that allows you to lie flat on the ground resembling a rug for 10 seconds. Fake death. And last but not least, the wait till next year skill, suggested by Chicago area players, allows you to drop group from a fight that is going poorly, enjoy a beer in the sun, and talk about the next boss fight where you are sure to put up a W and finally win it all. For Chicago area uh, players, you will know it as the wait till next year skill. For all the Cubs out there. All right. Uh, back to the serious business. Pilar gear. Fellowship taking Pilar gear. They increased the time to earn platinum for epic foes. Uguturu Enthisarte by a little bit. That was needed. You couldn't platinum before because of those problems. Um, they also added prompts to lead the party forward if you just stand around for too long. Also good. Uh there are now announcements of the arrival and defeat of some of the other non-secondary quest epic foes, so you know they're there. Also good. Uh, retaking Pilargear. When enemies clear out as ever going to rise at the end, it should be cleaner and timelier than it had been. As you noticed, it was kind of like uh, sloppy. Well, I won't say it. This is a family podcast, but you never knew when you were done. <laughs> uh, you end up standing around fighting stuff going, didn't he just announce that the fight was finished? Eh. And then lastly, the big one, Epic Battle Promotion Point Cap raised from 216 to 236. So should be able to increase skills in a number of areas. For those of you who have maxed, and I know that is a small part of the population, but uh, 
For those who do like epic battles, glad to see that they can continue to grow in their skills. Um, all right. I think that's it for the 15.2 release notes. Hope you enjoyed those, and we will move on to our next beacon. Minrimon. Now a word from our sponsors. First of all, Helchgam's Spa and Beauty Salon. This Valentine's Day, why not treat that special someone in your life to a deluxe spa package at Helchgam's? The soothing cries of the Maryville will float down on you from above as our expert masseuse encircles you with his tentacular embrace. Feel your morale ebb away as you float in our seafoam green bubbling hot tub. The salty slime of our brimstone leeches will open your pores wider than you have ever experienced. So this Valentine's Day, make it special and let yourself go at Helchgam's. Helchgam Spawn Beauty Salon products will give your skin that unnatural glow. Conveniently located in the new Carndome Outlet Mall out on Ang 80 with plenty of adjacent parking in Urugath. We do validate. Six Beacon, Callanhead. Join me now as we go down, down. Goblin Town, baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you watch The Hobbit 1977 Rankin Bass illustrated version for no other reason, enjoy. The soothing tones of Down Down to Goblin Town. One of the best Tokian parody songs ever made. And actually rooted in text from the books. And I quote. We're going down, down to Goblin Town. Ho ho, my lad. Okay, that's the Goblin Town soundtrack. Uh, I don't have the text handy. Grimey, get the text, will you? But uh, it's very uh, closely based on an actual poem that uh, that Tolkien wrote and inserted in the text of The Hobbit. Going down, down to Goblin Town, you go, my lad. And the uh, my favorite lyric in there, somewhere in there, they um, they have a, a very eloquent goblin who happens to... Grandma, stop splashing around. Okay, here it is. So, uh, clap, snap, the black crack. Grib, grab, pinch, nab, and down, down to goblin tan, you go, my lad. Clash, crash, crush, and smash, hammer and tongs, knocker and gongs, pound, pound, down underground. Ho, ho, my lad. Swish, smack, whip, crack, batter and beat, yammer and bleat. Work, work, nor dare to shirk, while Goblins quaff and goblins laugh, round and round far underground, below my lad. 
Oh, oh, my lad. So, uh, yeah, so the goblins uh, apparently have enough uh, eloquence to say, work, work, nor dare to shirk while goblins quaff. Yeah, it doesn't sound very goblin-y to me, but um, I'll, I'll give Tokian the, you know, the benefit of the doubt on that one. So why are we talking about down, down to Goblin Town? Well, as it turns out, uh, as I leveled my Bjorning, I had a desire to go into Goblin Town, but um, I out-leveled the area so quickly through uh, some of the other class questing and things I was doing that uh, I didn't think it was a good use of time. However, uh, I have a baby hobbit in the house whose Bjorning is in her early 40s. I want to say 41-ish was at the time. And uh, she decided to take her out for a ride into Goblin Town, at least to do one or two of the quests in the Misties that uh, she had found. And she quickly, desperately, and wholly got entirely lost <laughs> and uh, called to dear old Bragg for help. Um, so I ended up uh, spending the better part of uh, one afternoon and a little bit of time the next day as well, shepherding around the uh, the various um, the various tunnels of Goblin Town. And I thought, you know, based on that refresher, it'd be good to talk about it a little bit. So Goblin Town premiered in October 2007 with Volume One, Book Eleven. So it wasn't part of the original content come out, but uh, came out about the same time. I think around the same time as the you know the Rift in Helligrad, right? It was only maybe you know six months or nine months after release, so pretty close on. They'd obviously had plans to do it for quite some time, and uh, it is what I would call a public dungeon. Uh, the other one that's popular being Sarner and Hod Icarus in uh, the Barrow Downs that come to mind. Um, so meaning it is instanced when you walk in, but anyone else can be in there at the same time, and you can uh, basically be sharing the same mobs and quests as you go around. And uh, the level range is basically level 45, um, I did notice, this is the first time I'd been in there since the Misty Mountains revamp, and I did notice that it seemed like it was largely untouched by the revamp. I don't know if they just felt it was too much effort to go in and, and uh, you know, take a look at the various problems of Goblin Town, which we'll talk about later, or if they just felt that it was, uh, you know, not in the best use of time because of the amount of people that were doing the content at that point. Uh, Misty Mountains obviously is very closely entwined with the epic quest line, but there's only a, one epic quest that goes into Goblin Town, and you really don't have to go very far to fulfill it and come back out. So it is entirely optional, and it is governed by a complex map that confounds newcomers with uh, you know multiple-level complications and uh, basically a lot of the scenery that looks almost exactly the same, causing much confusion. Add to that high mob density and uh, stealth pathers and elites, some dead ends and twists, and you've got yourself uh, either a challenging <laughs> uh, or content or um, content that's not going to go far. <coughs> oh yeah, add some sparse questing and nominal rewards, and there's no great mystery why finding company in G-Town in can be rare. But for those that like a challenge and with opportunities for immersion and getting to know some well-known milestone locations from the books, Goblin Town might just be for you, my fine viewer, even if you're not a viewer. Plus, one of my favorite deeds in the game is taken straight from the book, Bilbo's Buttons. Talk about that a little bit later as well. 
So if you're a dwarf trying to finish off your racial enmity day to earn endurance of stone while simultaneously grinding Rivendell rep, Goblin Town might be for you. So let's talk about the map first of all. Um, you know, the general structure is... Um, First of all, I recommend you find yourself a map online just to get some general context. It's going to help you immeasurably. Even if you're not tracing through it, you know, room by room as you move through, understanding the general layout uh, is going to be um, very helpful to you. Uh, there are some great maps out there that fully flesh out what it looks like. The problem is they're two-dimensional and they don't really have, there aren't a lot of maps that show some of the three-dimensional complications of the map. Um, what I found is the Goblin Town can take a long time if you sit there and try to fight room to room, clearing every mob before you move on. And so what I found is the best use of time for me in order to get to the quest hubs that you need to get to and find the objects that you need to is to run through the areas without fighting. And the mob density is, uh, you know, has got enough volume in there that that can be problematic if you make a wrong turn, <laughs> or you hit a dead end. It works very well if you're a fairly sturdy class and you uh, know where you're going. Um, I can run all the way through Goblin Town to, you know, heck, to the lair of the Great Goblin uh, without getting killed, without stopping to fight a single thing. But if you make a right-hand turn to try to find the jails and you run into a dead end and you turn around, then there's 20 mobs, you know, three Bogarts, three Path Stealthers, and, uh, you know... And uh, the messenger, Falzak, or whatever the heck his name is, all on top of you at once, you're going to die pretty darn quick. So I think part of the challenge is understanding, in general, the direction you're trying to go so that you can run through these mobs without having to kill everything. Because getting around in Goblin Town by killing everything takes forever, <laughs> unless you're in a group. So let's talk general navigation. Um, the way it's constructed... If you ran straight through the passages all the way to the end without making any turns, you would eventually find your way to the uh, Hall of the Great Goblin at the end. It's basically three large uh, square-ish structured caverns with a number of tributaries uh, you know, filtering off to the right and to the left. And as you get further in, those large square sections of caverns are, um, are controlled via boulder gates. So... They're basically instance uh, portals. So if you run to the end and it looks like a giant boulder's in your way and you click on it, they'll flow to the side and you can walk through. Now, the usefulness of that is that when you go through those boulder gates, you're going to lose everything that's chasing you. So it's your chance to catch your breath. So one tip for Goblin Town, always use the boulder gates um, as ways to get rid of all your trailers and start fresh in the new, new section. Uh, the second is to remember that um, you may know that if you want to get to the war settings, you have to head down to the second, you know, giant square-ish chamber and then head to the left. But the problem is there's entrances on the bottom level and there's entrances on the top level, and usually only one of those will get you where you're going. So do remember to look up <laughs> as you're running by and try to remember maybe where, uh, what level the entrance is for what you're looking for. Um, aside from that, you know, the, the general way I navigate is that I remember on the right-hand side as I go, 
Uh, first come upon the jail, and then I'll come upon the fire pits, which you need for the deed and pretty much nothing else. And eventually, all the way down in the right-hand side, when you split right from the final entrance to the Hall of the Goblin King, you'll find the entrance to Gollum's Cave. So jail, fire pits, Gollum's Cave right. And on the black, uh, I'm sorry, on the left, you'll find the black crack, then the war steadings, and then Thundergrot on the left. And uh, basically the throne room at the end, although since that's been instanced, you can't just walk in there anymore as a public instance, and there is a level requirement on it, as a 41 Bjorning uh, was not able to enter through there. So that was uh, almost a death as I ran into <laughs> ran into the boulder gateway to try to get through into the... Uh, the Hall of the Great Goblin, and it wouldn't let me in because of level requirements. I had to run back the other way through the 15 mobs that were chasing me. Okay, so... Um, next. Quests and storylines. Uh, the quests start from several different areas. Um, Bilbo in Rivendell has a series. Gloin at his camp in the Misty Mountains. And Vinduril... Um, as well as one epic quest that's given by an elf at the Spire of Meeting in Rivendell. And that one is to collect a bunch of gems from goblins in, in Goblin Town. So basically, if you go into the front entrance and stick in the front hallway and just burn through ten goblins, you can get it and uh, turn back around. Um, so the quest and storyline from Bilbo is basically trying to help him remember certain details uh, regarding the you know, the layout of Goblin Town and his adventures, and eventually he'll point you all the way to Gollum's Cave. I think that's the only quest that sends you to Gollum's Cave. Um, and then the ones from Gloin are concerned about uh, orcs, Uruks from the Misty, you know, from Angmar coming down and trying to talk the Goblin Town orcs into, and goblins into helping them fight, uh, which would pose a threat to Rivendell. And uh, they will send you into the jails to find an elf that's been captured. And uh, he will send you on various quests around Glob Goblin Town, which will introduce you to the different areas, um, you know, and learn more about their plans before eventually making your escape. So the storyline is actually good. But the problem is getting around Goblin Town to get through that central quest line to rescue the elf is a pain, and uh, I was not surprised my baby hobbit was about ready to give up if I wasn't going to navigate tour. <laughs> so what I did was I, I'd find each area, you know, I'd find her the entrance to Thundergrot, and then she'd fight down there and fulfill all the quest stuff, and then she'd be like, Dad, I'm done. Come back and take me to the jail. <laughs> and I'd let her fight through the jail and get to the guys and get the next quest, and, she, and then she'd be like, Okay, I gotta go to the war steadings. Dad, take me to the war steadings, and I'd run her over there, and then I'd let her take control again, and etc. Um, so, and I kind of understand it is confusing and I'll talk about that, you know, the negatives, right? First of all, the map is confusing. All the areas look the same. You got the multi-level concept. And, uh, if you're, you know, if you're, if you don't have that contextual map in your mind or printed next to your PC to look at, to figure out where you are, um, you know, you can make a lot of wrong turns and every wrong turn is a group of goblins jumping on you that you have to run from or fight. So wrong turns are costly. What else is wrong? Sparse quests. Uh, even if you do all of Bilbo's quests and the epic quest and all the quests through the the elf in uh, in the jail, um, you're really not getting. You're maybe talking about 10, 12 quests in total, um, for which you have to explore all of Goblin Town and kill like 300 goblins. Um, so you know, sparse quests and nominal rewards for those quests. The mob density. Very challenging to get anywhere with the amount of mobs. 
Goblin Town should be crowded. I agree, but it's a problem. And uh, it's really an ancillary storyline to the overall, uh, you know, it's basically based on Bilbo's memory and maybe some threats to Rivendell. But there's no good reason to do it if you're following the epic or even, you know, concerned about um, concerned about Angmar or about what's going on in Region or making your way to Moria. It really is a sideline, um, you know, probably an homage, uh, you know, trying to build out a well-loved area in the books. But, uh, you know, it's not enough to make most players go back there more than once or twice. So what are the positives? What would draw you into Goblin Town? First of all, Gollum's Cave. Everyone who plays this game should find Gollum's Cave at one point in time or another. I think at one point they were talking about having a fellowship walk that ended in Gollum's Cave with a big party. That would have been awesome. Uh, the Bilbo's Button Deed is just just heads up fun. As you know from the book, um, as uh, Bilbo squeezed past Gollum in his final flight to get out the uh, to get out the door uh, on the eastern side of the Misty Mountains, uh, he got stuck midway through the door uh, as it was closing. And as he pushed his way through, all his buttons went flying. And what a great uh, idea by Turbine to hide Go Bilbo's buttons in various little uh, hideaways all over Goblin Town for you to find. And uh, the deed, I can't remember the virtue it has, but it's actually useful. So that one was a great idea and, and a very fun way to um, you know, keep you engaged through Goblin Town's different areas. The music in there is great, and the menace is great. Uh, you, know, you know you're in a dangerous area. Uh, you know, there's challenge and uh, there's some fun music there. As a matter of fact, I played the theme from the cartoon. I believe one of the songs that's played in game <coughs> is kind of a Muzak, uh, you know, soundtrack version without the, you know, without the singing and the lyrics of the Down Down to Goblin Town song. And in the end, it really comes down to challenge. Are, are you up for a challenging, you know, instanced uh, area? that, uh, you know, will have somewhat solitary rewards. Um, so it's time for BFL, Brag to Fix Lotro. What are some of the things that would help make Goblin Town more compelling? Now, the developers, I'm not thinking that hardly any of these things may ever get done. You know, they revamped the Misty Mountains, and the only change they made was to put um, a camp right outside the mouth of Goblin Town so you didn't have to run all the way back to Gloin's camp when you're doing the quests. But here are some things I think could have helped. First of all, wouldn't it be amazing if they connected the back of the map through to, uh, to the other side of the Misty Mountains, either emptying out into the Bjorning area that we're familiar with now, with the Karok that we can see in the distance, or even uh, you know, in, in the upper levels of Mirkwood, a path that kind of emerges into, into Mirkwood. Um, and maybe if they had another quest hub on that side of the Misty Mountains, um, so you could approach the Goblin Town from both ends, maybe even through a passage from Gollum's Cave, then you wouldn't have to run all the way back to the entrance to handing quests. Um, you know, you could, you could have half a Goblin Town, maybe you know the the west half coming from the um, the mountain's throat, and the east half coming from Mirkwood. You know, with elves being concerned as well and dealing with quests in the eastern part of the map. Um, so would spread that would add additional quests and would spread them out and allow you a breath of fresh air on the on the um, eastern side of the map without having to run all the way back out whenever you need to do something. Okay, Gollum's Cave. We need something else there to attract folks. It's a special area in the game. It's a special area in the lore for Tolkien. 
Um, it's the passage of Riddles in the Dark, maybe one of the most famous chapters that Tolkien wrote, and one that sticks with most readers, so a standard. So maybe there's a special fishing hobby trophy you can only get there as a capstone to a fishing hobby. Or even yet, better yet, what if you were to click on a bone pile on Gollum's little island where, there's, where his little tent is for a session play of Riddles in the Dark? Um, wouldn't people be flocking to Gollum's cave in order to be able to uh, be able to see that great moment in the lore of Middle-earth? Uh, you know, the more I think about it, that is the answer. <laughs> Bone pile, session play, riddles in the dark. Brilliant. Turbine, please make it happen. Uh, build a Goblin Town skirmish to get some use from the map. Um, how about building some real rewards in? <laughs> Maybe a class trade point uh, for the end of the jailhouse escape quest line, or at least something that would be valuable to you as you make your way towards Moria. Um Add some landmarks for navigation. So here's one thing they did, right? If you run all the way through the map and you're looking for the Hall of the Great Goblin, you'll come basically to a fork in the road with a big pillar right in the middle, a stone pillar that's been built that's very atypical. It looks like it was done by dwarves and not by, not by goblins. And uh, to the left is the Hall of the Great Goblin, and to the right, if you follow the passages, you'll eventually find your way down to Gollum's Cave. What if they added more landmarks that would make it easier for people to find where they were going so that everything didn't look the same? You know, there are already um, murals spread around Goblin Town, some fun murals sometimes depicting, you know, them chasing uh, dwarves out of their caves in the Misty Mountains. There's a fantastic one showing uh, their nightmare vision of Gollum as a hunter that used to kill, you know, the weak and infirm that would find their ways into his passages, kind of as a warning. What if there were more murals around to help you find your way? Um, maybe they could color code the tunnels. You know, Darnabagood did that to good effect. Uh, when you're looking for the entrance to the jail, sure would help if all of a sudden it would, had a big archway that was red. You know, maybe you have red for the fire pits, purple for Thundergrot, green for the jail, etc. Or maybe they could hang those little skeleton cages from the ceilings with hands pointing out directions. Something! Come on! <laughs> Give us something! Um, lastly, I think you need a midpoint quest hub with a vendor and a milestone uh, to help navigation. What if they had a ladder to in an off passageway to the surface with a dwarf or burning outpost? Or better yet, ah, perfect, an eagle's airy. So as you climbed up the ladder, you found an eagle's airy on top of the Misty Mountains. Um, and they're being visited by a Bjorning vendor or a dwarf vendor where you can you know, map a milestone uh, to, to map in and out, or you could sell off your junk uh, since your bags are full. A ladder to an eagle area on the top of the Misty Mountains. It's brilliant. Make it happen. Um, I think that's you know, a pretty good list of how, things that I would suggest in order to fix Goblin Town. So uh, keep those in mind. Uh, if you've never been in Goblin Town, don't be afraid. Give it a shot. Find a map to help you find your way and uh, group with others if you can. It can be a fun area, and hopefully I'll see you down down in Goblin Town very soon. Halifurian, it's time for blessed relief. Ho, ho, my lad. That brings us to the end of the 26th episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. 
you can contact me at braggsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Algonquin Indian. On Facebook or Twitter at Balan. My website at Lot the Beacons, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. Kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you're so inclined, I very much appreciate it. It's been quite a few weeks since I've had a new one. If your comments incite me to forgo my dwarven apathy, which is legendary, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth, the best place on Middle Earth in Earth Middle. This is Bragg, son of Balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, the next time... You've got a dot from a fire pot and thunder grot. It's getting hot with trolls a lot. You better not let inmates rot, you stupid sot. I hope you fought like you were taught. Do what you ought for the plot. And if all that doesn't work, light the beacons. <coughs> Let's see if we can fish Grime out of the drink before some adventurer mistakes him for a glass spider. Come here, you thin-nosed, knobby-kneed piece of why I oughta.